Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Real Scotland Blethers, the podcast of realscotland.com that's dedicated to covering all aspects of film and TV in Scotland, past, present and future. My name's Jonathan Melville and I'm the editor of realscotland.com and in this podcast I speak to people who have some connection to filmmaking, films and TV in Scotland. They don't actually have to be Scottish films or TV, but if they're being shown here they might feature on the podcast or the website. You can find out more about the podcast on Facebook by searching for Real Scotland, that's R-E-E-L, Scotland, or on Twitter at Real Scotland. You can also email me via realscotland at gmail.com. Last week I spent some time with the Edinburgh International Film Festival, where one of the new films I saw was a documentary, Time Trail, from Edinburgh director Finlay Pretzel. The film follows former professional cyclist David Miller as he fights to return to racing following a tumultuous career that involved winning numerous titles before being suspended for doping in 2004. Now clean, Miller's journey to compete again in the Tour de France is caught on camera in sometimes painful detail and as a viewer you're taken inside the race by Finlay's cameras. It's not real anymore. So it doesn't mean anything. I've had the most vivid dream. I was with my best friend. We were at some tall building. I pushed him off. I spent the rest of the dream trying to get down the building to get to him. You won in 2003 on drugs. You won as a cheat. It's a great film, and as this episode is published on the 2nd of July, there's still time to see it in UK cinemas before it comes out again on the 12th of July around the UK. I spoke to Finlay about how the film came to be, and I think there's some good advice in there for anyone thinking of making a documentary. The interview took place in the bar of Edinburgh's Cameo Cinema, so apologies for some of the background noises, which at one point get a little bit loud, just for a few seconds. I'm, I'm delighted if lots of cyclists come up. It's great. I really hope they do, and I think they will. But I'm desperate for people who are not interested in cycling to go in and yeah. go on the ride. Because it's a film, obviously, about... I mean, you can tell us, a, or tell me a bit more about, about what it is about, but um, it's about a person, really. I mean, OK, your cycling is what, what he does, David Miller. But... The whole thing really is about his, inside his head, isn't it? And his yeah. his his life and his experiences and his um, his amazing story, really, yeah. of going from this guy that's at the peak of his career to yeah, being well, yeah. spoil you know, it's not really spoilers, yeah. I suppose, is it? To say it didn't work out for him. No, uh, certainly when he had his fall from grace. Yeah. So yeah, okay, it is a cycling film, but it isn't. Yeah. Which I suppose is the the point of any great documentary isn't it it's you can take the lessons or the uh, yeah the learnings I suppose to, to into any yeah. anyone can take that so as you say you don't have to of course it'd be great and if you do cycle I think you'll probably get you'll definitely get something out of that yeah. but even as a, a amateur like me just seeing what it's like uh, on a race mm. when these guys having a chat even or yeah. or he's got to take his jacket off and, oh, no, and get a get his gloves on yeah, which is bizarre <laughs> so that's fascinating but yeah. on the other hand yeah it's about a guy who yeah. messed up and, I suppose yeah, and, and then tried to make things better yeah and um, coming to the end of your career and I think we all well, definitely I don't think it, uh, my age 39 I'm thinking about coming to the end of my career yet 
but I can imagine that I, I, I feel it with him that it's this he was 37 when he like in his last year of racing and it's not he wanted to go out as anyone would in your the best you know any job you want to go out on a good on a good level you know you want to go out you've made a difference and I think with him it it was a slow fade out without giving the film away and I think that's much more tangible to audiences than the big blaze of glory or the absolute fatal demise you know it's like this kind of like ah okay that's it (laughs) (laughs) you know like a candle blowing out or something you know without trying to be poetic but it's like that it it is it's a slow fade out and it's like that for me is way more fascinating as a human condition and being on this journey with someone I think it's far more subtle and far more real I think yeah because you could part of you I think going into this or I not consciously but you do sort of think okay this will be like a rocky story like a He's trying to get to the top, there'll be a few missteps, but of course he'll do it and he'll be yeah. all happy yeah, at the end. Exactly. And no, as you say, there's a bit of a sort of a fade out here. Yeah. But, and I, but how did yeah. you get him to be so open to being followed around? Because there's a few scenes in there that feel awkward, and I think as an audience member, you're a bit like, oh, you can sort of feel you, what you were feeling when you're asking yeah. him about yeah. the tough questions, and one, at least once he sort of says, I'm not, not answering that. Yeah. And you can feel the tension. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but that, with David and I, I think he, I think there was, there's always been a, a bit of a tension between us, I think. And, and when, not, when did you first, did you approach him or did you, yeah, yeah, how did that happen first? Well, I approached him like in 2006, I made a short film, Adrian McDowell, and he made this like short film called Standing Star. It's a velodrome cyclist, uh, contemporary with Chris Hoy, called Craig McLean, world champion, Olympic cyclist, fantastic bike rider. In a velodrome, 12 minute long, and and I suppose at that point I was like, ah, velodrome cycling was never any interest to me. It's all, always been the road cycling, which seems more mystical and magical and, yeah strange in a way and so much more of a commitment you know yeah. and and I think so I saw David while doing this making this film and I thought oh maybe I've always known him I've always followed his career all the rest of it but I thought I saw him while making this film and I thought oh actually maybe he could do this film about the road cycle the road the the film about the experience of a race came first and then I thought David might be that person to tell the story in a way so I made sure he got this copy of this DVD and then we met at this cycling dinner in Scotland called the Braveheart Dinner it's like a fundraising dinner where he was going to be at we met and we talked all night like literally all night until the morning about what we can do and how we can make it work and I think from that moment on I thought yeah, he's, he wants to go the distance he wants to try things he wants to he wants to like make this happen you know and not in a 
not in a way he wants to control everything you're doing and say, well, we should do this, we should do that, we shouldn't do this, and I'm going to edit this, and I'm, I don't want you to show that. He was very just open, and so he was up for it. However, that's like 11, 12 years ago. We kind of had a pause. We didn't we didn't speak for a couple of years, or we kind of kept slightly in touch, and then we revisited the idea and I thought right I need I need to make this happen actually just after I made a film called Cut and Loose about prison a prison hairdressing competition which is claustrophobic complete claustrophobia in every way possible you're in jails you know and there and David Miller and all the cyclists are in these beautiful wide open landscapes but actually they don't see any of that they're just in this locked bubble, as in the film, it's very claustrophobic as well. They're kind of imprisoned by cycling, about racing. They don't know anything else, you know. And I think, and it's almost worse than being in prison, you know, in a in a sense. Not really, but you know what I mean. And I think that. So I then started speaking to him, went on many, like, recce's to the Tour de France, Tour of Oman, like, countless recce's, to see what, how we could get, what access we could get, how we could just get, what we could get away with, always making these contacts with people while you're doing that, because it's a really difficult world to penetrate, it's, like, horrendously difficult. And I think that's why we're always trying to like push and fight our way in. And I think because of that time we spent doing that, that's how we got that access. And all the while, I'm speaking to David. David's having to negotiate things and do this, and which is difficult for him to do, you know, because he's got a job to do. Yeah. And but he was always he would always do it. He'd always make it happen, you know. And I think by, in many ways, I think he would always be, while doing these interviews, I I would feel very uncomfortable, you know, because also he is somebody that I've followed for many years, just as a fan of cycling. And I would see him and then suddenly he's right in front of me and he's staring at me, <laughs> wanting me to come up with something, you know, in a strange way. Yeah. But I think also he felt that pressure also of me, of him agreeing to making this film and knowing that he is the centre of it and he has to make it interesting. So I think there's this strange dynamic between us. There's no one else in the film, him. And of course his teammate Thomas Decker who loves the camera and plays up to it and is a completely different character to David. So I think it was this always that tension which I think worked really well and it was it's really difficult at times as well you've also got to remember that he stayed on board with the project for so long to be fair to him you know and he never ever said no there was a couple of things that I would ask him to do and he would be like oh this just feels strange fair enough but like a bit too staged maybe or yeah, a bit staging. Kind of, or like you wouldn't quite get the idea, and I think it was like maybe a slightly half-baked idea of mine that I'd be like, oh, let's try this out, 
and he just felt very uncomfortable with it, which is totally understandable. But like, I mean, that was probably once or twice that happened. It was so little. So I, he, and he's. That, I think that's what I originally liked about him because he's very. He's got this Calvinistic nature that he'll be like, right, whatever happens, happens, and that's it. And I like that. It's that, that's kind of exciting in a way. It's like he'll just let you do not whatever because he's he's a strong character, but he. He would allow you, and he would under, somehow understand the process, although he didn't know what the process was. And he, you know, he said this other night. There was times we would be round at his house. A few of us, you know, me, Martin Radich, the DOP, Doug, Douglas Fairgrave, who's the sound guy, and we'd sit around, and there'd be nothing to film. But we would be sitting there going, yeah, yeah. And I, and I wouldn't, if I'm honest with you, I, we had a very rough schedule. And then, and what we didn't, I remember there was just this particular time we were there with him for five days, just David and us three at his house in Spain in the middle of like July, oh yeah, middle of July. It was baking hot. We couldn't do anything during the day. There was no, we couldn't actually do the things that we'd planned because it was so hot. So it kind of threw us a bit. We were like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do this mm. afternoon. So we'd go around to his house and kind of sit around and be like... Hopeless what would happen. Yeah, yeah no, and, and nothing would some days. And that makes somebody like these athletes, they, they operate in ones and zeros, you know, they're very analytical and they have schedules and filmmaking's all grey area, you know, it's really you, you operate in the margins of everything so and yeah, and, and he went along with it so I think that's quite It's and I had, I knew he would I've always known that he would you know, and he did, trusted me Did he have any say over the editing or the final cut? Did you, did you ever want that or no, never. He never. We always agreed that that wouldn't ever happen. But he always said. But he also never tried to push it. We showed him a a kind of earlyish rough cut, just for. I just wanted to reassure him, you know. And it was like. He, he said a few things. He was uncomfortable with certain things, and he did say one one point that was totally like, yes, that that I totally agree with that actually. And it was about clarifying his uh, clarifying his anger. We we all had to f- realize why he was angry, and he didn't want people just to feel sorry for him at the end of the film. And I'm like, yeah. That, that, I get that. In that previous cut, it wasn't coming through so much, you know. And now, and I, I, I think that point was took it on. You know? And I, he, but he, if we hadn't done anything, he he wouldn't have said anything. He wouldn't. He would have just gone along with it in a way. Maybe disagreed with it, but yeah. And I think he finds it very difficult to watch the film. Understandably, I think it's it shows up something that. He can't ever you talk about, I think, you know, and I think 
he would have preferred to have done better. And I think also it's quite tough for his family to watch as well, you know, that way. Because I think it uncovers something that is there, that is unsaid, you know. <laughs> it's fascinating. Mm. Is, that the, is that the most you've ever spent with a subject on one of your films? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Too right it was. Uh, oh, yeah, big time. I mean, it's like... Yeah, I, and I can't actually imagine trying to do that again with one subject. I think that's really hard. It's massive pressure on both. <laughs> both people. <laughs> that, was, that was high. Um, no, it's huge pressure on each of you to rely on one person. And I think, oh yeah, way longer. I mean, yeah, we have made short films in the past with just, and that's difficult enough, you know? Because you don't actually just spend the time actually in that person's company. You've got them on screen all the time. And you're constantly talking about that person yeah. in almost everything you do to make that film, to finance it, to communicate to editors, cameramen, whoever. So it's like, it's endless. So you, yeah, you, you are watching that person, you feel like you're with them all the time, you know? And you get sick of those people, you know? <laughs> you get tired of them. We get tired, we get tired of each other, yeah. me, David and I. And I think now, We've kind of moved to another phase of things, actually, and I think it's definitely for the better. Yeah. And, yeah, no, uh, I'm kind of amazed that we could rem remain friendly, actually, which we are. I mean, it's not, it's not difficult with, with each other, you know? We have, but yeah, long, oh, it's such a long time when you think in such an intense relationship, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the times that I think it's fine when you're shooting with somebody and you have a few crew members so they can talk to him and everyone else can get on but there'd be times when well I suppose towards the end it was just me and him like and just doing an audio piece in a hotel room in the centre of London you know it, it yeah, that is quite difficult, you know. It was quite a nice moment in a way because it felt like we'd I'd started just doing that with him, initially filming with him, just me and him, like right at the start, like in 2000 and, uh, 2010, something like that. And so, like, fast forward on to 2017, we're, we're sat in a hotel room, just me and him again. It was quite quite a nice moment in a way but kind of awkward at the same time yeah. <laughs> and you work you still work at the Scottish Documentary Institute mm. uh, and I guess you're working with what's your, what's your job title there? Uh, my job title <laughs> technically <laughs> is uh, like head of distribution and but I produce other films as well yeah so uh, what you so when you went into this, you obviously, I'm guessing you knew, well, maybe 10 years ago, maybe didn't know as much as you knew now, but uh, I suppose it's, it, I'm just wondering about how much you learned yourself from
from yeah. doing this that you will then take back to your day, day job, basically. Oh, for sure. It's like a massive amount. It, for every it's like work, it sounds a bit like work experience okay, or something. Yeah, I know, and then you come back and you're like, oh, this is what I learned yeah, from this. Yeah, yeah. But it is, it's a massive learning thing. And I think... And I think that's why with the Documentary Institute it's always been the case. We all work on films, whether it's production or or directing. Well, I'm the only director really there. Or, or so, Noe as well. But Noe's predominantly production. And I think that it's essential to put back into ev- everything we do. Yeah. Like, I mean... I mean, the amount of stuff from pre-production, financing, production, distribution, festivals. And it's a different thing, you know, features, you know. I've only made short films and, yeah, we look after feature-length documentaries, but not that hands-on. Like, Time Trial was hands-on. And it would, especially Sonia, the producer, and I... It was like, and, and you really realise what what's going on and what <laughs> what it takes, and and I think now it's that thing which I you almost take for granted in some way that the film gets out there and it it does something, but actually that is the it's the it's so difficult to get a film seen, you know. In documentary, it's really hard to see documentaries and get documentaries to play in cinemas I think and and I think that's right now what we're kind of dealing with but yeah I mean it's like yeah okay, you feel like you, it's there's too much to say on that though, how yeah, much yeah. you bring back to to the, yeah, yeah, the sure. documentary institute it's like massive I think and do you think things have got better I mean how long have you been there now oh uh, 12 years and do you think things I mean the, the STI uh, has uh, since I've been since I've known it, which is maybe since about 2010 when I started in Real Scotland when I really started realizing what was out there. Yeah. You guys, the name just seems to have got bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, do you think it's at a point now where it's you know every year it gets a bit bigger, or do you think it's has it have you had big troughs or you know how you, I suppose not just for you guys, but I mean documentary in general. I mean, yeah. How, you know, well, how, how do you how do you think it's well? I think. Because of SDI, I think there's the the kind of community and what's actually happening in Scotland has definitely upped its game you know, f- for definite. And I'm not sure that would have happened without us being present for all the masterclasses, the Edinburgh pitch every year. It kind of it bring and this is all, it's the this is the goal of SDI is to create a, a, a documentary community in Scotland yeah. that was loud you know all the sound effects do you? <laughs> yeah, it is it's like a Foley studio yeah, yeah. <laughs> record it for the next one. yeah definitely um, that was a good sound though of the, the a, barrel rolling that was a cracker but, but I think it's like yeah and I think it does get bigger every year and I think we but it does, I don't think it gets it doesn't get easier but no. I think it gets bigger and I think we we do more every year and I think people start to take notice of what we're doing more and and 
and I think we've kind of got a reputation around the world probably and especially in festivals and and distributors and sales agents and stuff as, as doing good quality work but I think it's not that funny <laughs> I'm talking I'm telling the truth here but I think it keeps getting growing and I think the there's so many more filmmakers, you know, Paul Feagan's film that came out, Where You Meant to Be, a couple of years ago, Emma Davies, I Am Breathing, and then another one, Becoming Animal. It's, it feels like this. we've got another couple coming up, Freedom Fields, Nate Passaran is like, we have helped with that as well, and right from the get-go, and are starting to try and help get into festivals, and, and it's like... This, yeah, this, it feels like there's so much going on, almost like too much. Yeah, and it, and I, and I do believe that. Yeah, SDI need we need to shift into something else. Keep doing what we're doing, but shift into something else. And I don't know what I mean by that, <laughs> but I think we it's almost time for us to kind of come back and say, right, let's let's assess the last few years and. And make some adjustments. Do things like Netflix taking on so many documentaries? Is that have you noticed any kind of change in, I don't know, the reaction from either just friends or from the industry around around yeah, yeah. sort of saying, okay, there's a chance now this could get on Netflix and it could get X million viewers. Yeah. Is that people are people a bit more aware of that now? Maybe. Well, I think the good thing with Netflix and what they do now is it's actually pushing the form of filmmaking or documentary making especially you know with all these series and ten part yeah 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 series and things yeah, yeah. that can be very slow and yeah. very like you know they take a long time and I think that transfers into it can transfer into cinema as well okay. and and making people kind of oh okay I can take this on and well, it helps to kind of Almost educate or teach people a little bit yeah. uh, in a in a sort of sneaky way. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, if you're just sitting in the, at home on the couch watching making a murderer, yeah. you're not being you don't realise you're being taught anything, but you are kind of then learning to uh, well learning to, to, to enjoy documentary, I suppose, but also just that that pace, that idea of coming back for another episode. Yeah. No, no, but I, th- I think definitely it's also that suddenly it's given like a platform for like so many films whereas I think a lot of the time it's always been like traditionally television money that, that funds documentaries and and it's like oh well uh, cinema's so much the, the last thing a lot of broadcasters are, are wanting so then suddenly Netflix, it doesn't matter. The film could be three hours long, and they'll still play it if it's a good film or yeah. or shorter. It doesn't matter, and I think that that's quite exciting. And people are going to Netflix rather than broadcasters, and I think that's or or being forced into a slot that's on television that they have to watch at a certain time. Yeah. It's like you have this freedom now, and I think that's starting to kind of come out in the form of making films and I think that's why people will be more open to watching more cinematic 
So when you say you think the SGI maybe could look again or take a, a, another look at what it's doing, do you think it, is it things like that? Is it saying, okay, we've never thought of doing a five-part TV yeah. series, but oh, yeah. maybe we should be? Absolutely, yeah. Which, which five years ago you would not, no you would way. have gone, nobody's going to watch that. No, exactly. <laughs> The long, longer documentaries, it's like, no way. Yeah. It's hard enough getting people to watch a short documentary and an extra short documentary. But I think now... No, no, I think so. No, no, we've, we've been talking about that. But I still think that it's, it's, still gonna, it's still a flooded market. There's still loads of other people making these films yeah. that have got yeah. really high production values and they're, you know, Errol Morris, the series that he did recently... That's, it's like a drama. It's a shot like a drama. And, you know, Herzog, did he have a series? Or he you know, made the kind of volcano film straight for Netflix. And I think this... I, I, I do think that there's a, there's a shift, but still, there's still a flooded market. Yeah. And I still think for us to get into that market of making these films, we still have to, like up our game again to make it you know viable but uh, yeah for sure I so think for new be... filmmakers uh, or even people who are just dabbling with their, their iPhones just now uh, you know what, what would you kind of what's your a couple of simple pieces of advice for people who are thinking oh, I'd love to do a proper a proper documentary or just get into this world what do you think what's the first steps well, let's say in Scotland, particularly, yeah. but generally, I suppose it works as well. Yeah, yeah, I think whatever age. I mean, this could be someone in school or someone yeah. in the fifties, or oh, I think to be absolutely critical and hard on yourself and question everything you're trying to do, every decision you make, and have a have a plan, have an idea, or not just an idea, have a plan of what you're going to go out and shoot and what what you're trying to say with it I think that's the biggest yeah. thing and I think it's always like no one's going to be excited about your idea nobody until <laughs> until it's made or until it's just before it's made and then people will be excited about it and don't let that put you off and I think the biggest one is always is to forget things forget any negative stuff forget any bad shit that's happened just focus on that film I think but also, if there's any opportunities, bridging a gap is a great opportunity in Scotland as a professional, professional um, <laughs> development program to, you know, to really nurture young or or new filmmakers, I should say. Really. Yeah. And and that, that yeah, we open calls for entry around about September, so they make short ten minute documentaries. But it's also, they're people who have have a background in filmmaking somehow. But if they can also provide some footage or, you know, uh, or a previous film that can say, well, this is the style of, this is what I've done before, then it can definitely help their call, their, their cause to, yeah, to make films. But, cool. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we're coming to the end of our, our time. Yeah, nice. But uh, when's the next screening of Time Show? Have you got any more left in the festival? Oh, yeah, no. None in the festival. No. But we should, uh, I should say, 
it comes into cinemas on the 29th of June for a week uh, in Glasgow, Edinburgh, London, Belfast and Lewis. Lewis, down in just outside London. Right. I've never heard of it either. <laughs> and then it comes out again on the 12th of July. Right. Into about 80 cinemas all over the UK. So, like Scotland again, Edinburgh, uh, Glasgow, and all over Scotland. So, yeah, so it'd be great. Yeah. Mm. Well, good luck with it. Thanks very much. <laughs> Cheers for that. Cheers. Thanks to Finlay for taking the time to talk to me, and please try to see Time Trial at the cinema if you can. Until next time, thanks for listening to me blethering, and feel free to check out some previous episodes of the podcast at anchor.fm forward slash realscotland.